There's a toxic mess at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but it's our collective job to try to clean it up. Working on it, Congressman. Working on it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle. Here of I you. am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing, Planet, Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellows, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We have been uh, continuing to slog through, especially Desi Doyen. Des, <laughs> how are you holding up in one piece here? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been educational, uh, I'll say that. S- slogging through <laughs> Hours upon hours of the uh, impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate of Donald Trump that is currently underway once again, even as we go to air. And and Des, you've been doing a fantastic job keeping up with everything. Well, thank and you. And all of the audio. But uh, all of that audio that you pulled for us today... Set it all aside. <laughs> oh, goody. Because I got some breaking news I got to get to in a moment. Now, we have been pretty rough, uh, deservedly so, uh, on Fox News over the past couple of days for its obvious attempts to distract from and undermine and completely ignore the impeachment trial. But apparently, the pretend news network reached a new low on Thursday, January 23, according to Media Matters today, when it showed the trial. <laughs> the impeachment trial of a president of the United States during its evening programming between 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern for a total of 22 seconds, not minutes, seconds, four hours. They show 22 seconds. Correct. Wow. Now, uh, to the extent that Fox News viewers saw any of the impassioned closing argument on Thursday night, of uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, it was uh, filtered through what Fox hosts said about it. And those comments consisted largely of claims that Adam Schiff was a lunatic, that nothing new was presented, that it was boring, repetitious, that Democrats have no case because there's uh, nothing here is impeachable. They call Schiff a lunatic. Correct. 
Now, we will play you an extended clip from those pretty remarkable uh, closing comments, closing points, anyway, from Adam Schiff on Thursday night shortly. And we'll be joined by the great Heather Digby Parton for her impressions as the Democratic House managers opening arguments wrap up, even though those arguments could be the closing arguments if Republicans continue to block all witnesses and documents that are currently being withheld by the White House. But we'll get to that in a moment. I've got some other breaking news here today I need to get in first on a story that we have been covering very closely in recent days, at least before the impeachment trial started. As I detailed a week or so ago on this program uh, in breaking the details on this show about L.A. counties, Los Angeles County's new 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting system that had been failing to meet more than 40 California voting system standards during independent certification testing. We had been reporting on that and that the public comment period on whether those god-awful systems should be certified for use in the March 3rd Super Tuesday primary here in the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation That public comment period ended this past Monday. So to remind you of where we were in reporting on this story before impeachment started, here's part of the public comments that I personally sent to the California Secretary of State, Alex Padilla, urging him to not verify this unverifiable voting system, to not certify it, which, by the way, if it works here this year, works, I'm putting in in air quotes here, but if it works, it will be made available to the rest of the state and the rest of the country. So pay attention, folks, because this matters to everyone. And uh, as noted, I've got some breaking news on this, uh, two breaking news items, actually. But here's a part of my letter to the Secretary of State, which you can read in full at bradblog.com. To sort of remind you where we were, Secretary Padilla, I have covered voting systems in the U.S. as a journalist for more than 15 years. Actually, today is our 16th anniversary, Desi. Oh, wow. Uh, Not ours, but bradblog.com. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, I have reported on concerns about voting systems of all types on both the national and local level, on air and print over these many years, have broken innumerable stories that have affected the use and sometimes decertification of these systems. After spending all of that time largely uncovering and reporting on failures of voting systems in other states, though I spent many years working closely with California Secretary of State Deborah Bowen's office prior to your tenure, it is with much regret that I've had to turn my concerns to the new Voting Solutions for All People, or VSAP system, set for use here in my own county of Los Angeles, where I've been a voter for well over 20 years. I was at the first, very first meeting of the VSAP system about 10 years ago, as invited by L.A. County Registrar Recorder County Clerk Dean Logan, offered many of the same warnings I am forced to issue today, 10 years later, on my uh, radio program and at bradblog.com, etc. One year ago, via email on January 10, 2019, Registrar Logan assured me that, quote, the equipment System components for VSAP are and will be in compliance with California's voting system standards that exceed the federal voluntary system standards. He also promised in the same response that the deliberative process in the regulatory and legislative process in California meant that the new systems must meet system requirements and standards with which the systems and processes we use must align. Sadly, 
Neither of those promises appears to be the case, as the independent testers contracted by your office during the certification process of VSAP have uncovered more than 40 violations of California voting system standards. I went on to urge him to not certify this system, pointed out that uh, the recent University of Michigan study that found that 93 percent of voters do not notice when a ballot marking device, a computer touchscreen ballot marking device like this actually changes one or more of their votes on the printed out computer marked version of their of their ballot, 93 percent. And I recommended that instead of this three hundred million dollar boondoggle, Instead, we use a system called uh, print on demand that prints a ballot on demand in any style, any language, and allows for a verifiable hand-marked paper ballot for every voter instead. Well, you can read that whole letter at bradblog.com. Here's part one of the breaking news Uh, today. Secretary of State Padilla has conditionally certified the VSAP system for use in the March 3rd Super Tuesday election, despite the many problems that have been discovered by independent testers during the certification process. Now, conditional certification means it's certified. You can use it as long as you follow just a few conditions. And uh, we're short on time today, so I can't go into the specific all of the specific conditions, but one of them Included. In fact, this is the first one listed on the official uh, document of certification. Number one, Los Angeles County shall make available in each vote center. We'll now have vote centers instead of precincts in each vote center, a sufficient number of blank write in ballots for any voter that requests to cast a hand marked paper ballot. The paper write-in ballots shall, at a minimum, contain all elements consistent with the Federal Voting Assistance Program's federal write-in absentee ballot and comply with state law. Any write-in ballot cast at a vote center shall be secured in a ballot secrecy envelope identifying the ballot style or precinct placed in a secure ballot box and shall be processed as a regular ballot during the canvas period. Now, what does that mean? Yes, what does that mean? I have no idea. Oh, I have never heard anything like this. I'm trying to find out. It could be good news, but I don't yet know. So I don't want to get anyone too excited yet. It uh, could mean that voters will, in fact, have a right to ask for a hand-marked paper ballot when they go to vote at uh, at, at the polling place. On Election Day and during the early voting period, that would be very good news if that's what that means. I am trying to find out. I will let you know when and if I do. But I I, so far uh, of late, I have not had much luck getting comment in response to my questions from the secretary of state's office uh, any more than uh, L.A. County clerk. Dean Logan has been ignoring my questions as well for some reason on this. But if we can learn anything, I will let you know. Uh, Second, I also mentioned in my letter to uh, Secretary Padilla the concerns about the fact that only the first four candidates, first four candidates in any race will be listed on the first page of the touchscreen system before a voter must hit another button, the more button in order to see additional candidates in the race, the next four voters. 
uh, next four candidates. Uh, that, even though there is a next button that is right next to the more button. And if you hit the next button, you'll be brought to the next race and you will never even see the rest of the candidates in that race. That's a huge design problem and one that should be foreseen when we're talking about a $300 million system. But for some reason, it was not foreseen. And here is where we are barely uh, just over a month out from using these uh, these systems in the Super Tuesday primary election for president of the United States. In the largest voting jurisdiction in the United States, we're talking millions of people will be turning out for the Super Tuesday in Cal in Los Angeles alone. So I had mentioned that in my letter to Padilla as well. And uh, last week I had told you about Libby Dankman's report over at LAist. She works for the uh, local uh, NPR station here as well. Libby Dankman had reported about Beverly Hills considering a lawsuit over that issue, given that they have a, an election coming up with five candidates on their upcoming city council elections. So one candidate and only one candidate will not be seen by voters when they go to this race unless they happen to notice the more button and don't accidentally hit the next button. And by the way, it's even worse than uh, I had reported it. The candidate in question who will be number five on this uh, race coming up, Dr. Julian Gold, says that in this race, there's five candidates. You get to choose two of them because there are two open seats. If you choose two of them on the first page and you do happen to notice him on the second page, well, at that point, he will be grayed out because you've already voted for two voters. So you won't be able to vote for him. So then you have to hit the last button to go back to the first page to unselect one. And then you have to hit the more button again to go back to him and then select him. Got I, that? I can see a lot of elderly voters not being able to keep up with that. I can see a lot of voters my age not being able to keep up with that. Although I feel pretty elderly at the end of this week. Anyway, so uh, last week, uh, Libby Denkman reported that Beverly Hills is considering a lawsuit over that, given that, you know, they have these five candidates. There are other municipalities in L.A. County which were also very unhappy about this. Well, the good news is that, uh, yes, in fact, Beverly Hills is suing Los Angeles County to prevent this horrible design in this new VSAP system. The uh, Beverly Hills City Attorney Lawrence Weiner writes, We are deeply troubled that voters will be disenfranchised by the new VSAP system. All candidates should be presented in an equitable and transparent way to the voters. As the system is currently designed, a voter may not realize they are bypassing additional candidates. We believe this issue can be easily resolved, he says. The city is asking L.A. County to gray out the next button until the voter has moved to the last page of the individual race and viewed all of the candidates, which makes perfect sense, which would be a simple thing to do, one would think. Of course, if you reprogram the system, then it should go through the certification process again to make sure you haven't introduced any new problems into the system. Whether there is time for any of that before the upcoming election, well, it doesn't look like there will be because uh, Secretary of State uh, Padilla offers this as another one of his uh, conditions in the certification of the VSAP system today. 
He says, within five months from this conditional approval, Los Angeles County shall provide a plan to the Secretary of State for reviewing the functionality and usability of the system as it pertains to the current use of the More button on the ballot marking device, including engagement with stakeholders, disability rights advocates, and recognized election material design and usability experts. So within five months, that would be after the upcoming primaries, uh, L.A. County is supposed to offer a plan to the Secretary of State on what the hell they're going to do about this mess, presumably to make a change before the general election in November, whether there will be time to test that fix or not if it is put in place before the November election, the presidential general election, I can't tell you. So maybe there will be a solution before November. There won't be one, apparently, before the uh, upcoming elections. Beverly Hills will have their uh, city election at that time. They are none too happy, so they are suing. We will continue to follow and report on this, uh, as you know. But I will say this. All of this, all of this is an absurd way to run an election system in any jurisdiction, much less the largest county, the most populous county in the nation with over, uh, I think we're five and a half million voters out here at a cost of $300 million for this system. That's a third of a billion dollars when, of course, a pen and a piece of paper hand-marked by the voter would cost half that much, if that much, and it would actually be publicly verifiable after an election, unlike the systems we will be putting in place out here in Los Angeles right now. So uh, I'll try to, when I can learn anything on that uh, hand-marked paper ballot uh, that you'll theoretically be able to request at the polling place, I will let you know. Until then, you might want to plan to ask for a vote-by-mail ballot and then deliver it on Election Day, hopefully at one of those precincts. But uh, holy mackerel, what a mess. We will move from this mess to the one on the East Coast, happening even as we go to air in the halls of the uh, great, the greatest, what do they call it? The, the greatest, greatest deliberative, deliberative body in, in the, the world. world, the U.S. Senate. That's next, the impeachment of Donald Trump. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That, in fact, that music is the, it's called the Impeachment Polka. Apparently, it's a forgotten piece of music that was composed in 1868 during the impeachment of Andrew Johnson by Charles D. Blake. It was found by Washington Post's Philip Bump. 
uh, and performed by uh, the Washington Post uh, for the Post by Michael Adcock by the Washington Conservatory of Music. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Pretty cool. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, Heather Digby Parton joins me in a moment as the Democratic House managers wrap up the third day of their opening argument in the impeachment of Donald John Trump. So we'll take stock of where things stand at this point with uh, Digby shortly. But I earlier mentioned lead House manager Adam Schiff's remarkable and impassioned closing remarks at the end of Thursday night's uh, case on impeachment Article 1. They're talking about article that's uh, abuse of power, and uh, they are talking about Donald Trump's Article 2, obstruction of Congress, uh, on Friday. Uh, But the abuse of power in his scheme to withhold millions in military aid to Ukraine to force them to help him cheat in the 2020 presidential election by forcing Ukraine to cook up dirt, essentially, on Joe Biden. Well, now, Fox News viewers, of course, didn't get to see this, but if you missed it, you should see it. Well, at least hear it here, uh, as I hope the Republican senators in the chamber on Thursday night heard this message loud and clear from Congressman Schiff. He's done what he's charged with. He withheld the money. He withheld the meeting. He used it to coerce Ukraine to do these political investigations. He covered it up. He obstructed us. He's trying to obstruct you. And he's violated the Constitution. But I want to address one other thing tonight. Okay, he's guilty. Okay, he's guilty. Does he really need to be removed? Does he really need to be removed? We have an election coming up. Does he really need to be removed? He's guilty. You know, is there really any doubt about this? I mean, do we really have any doubt about the facts here? Does anybody really question whether the president is capable of what he's charged with? No one is really making the argument, Donald Trump would never do such a thing. Because of course we know that he would, and of course we know that he did. It's a somewhat different question, though, to ask, okay, it's pretty obvious, whether we can say it publicly or we can't say it publicly, we all know what we're dealing here with this president. But does he really need to be removed? And this is why he needs to be removed. Donald Trump chose Rudy Giuliani over his own intelligence agencies. He chose Rudy Giuliani over his own FBI director. He chose Rudy Giuliani over his own national security advisors. When all of them were telling him this Ukraine 2016 stuff is kooky, crazy Russian propaganda, he chose not to believe them He chose to believe Rudy Giuliani. That makes him dangerous to us, to our country. That was Donald Trump's choice. Now, why would Donald Trump believe a man like Rudy Giuliani over a man like Christopher Wray? Okay? Why would anyone in their right mind believe Rudy Giuliani over Christopher Wray? That is Trump's FBI director, Christopher Wray. Because he wanted to, and because what Rudy was offering him was something that would help him personally. 
And what Christopher Ray was offering him was merely the truth. What Christopher Ray was offering him was merely the information he needed to protect his country and its elections. But that's not good enough. What's in it for him? What's in it for Donald Trump? This is why he needs to be removed. Now, you may be asking, how much damage can he really do in the next several months until the election? A lot. A lot of damage. Now, we just saw last week a report that Russia tried to hack or maybe did hack Burisma. Well, let's say they got in. And let's say they start dumping documents to interfere in the next election. Let's say they start dumping some real things they hacked from Burisma. Let's say they start dumping some fake things they didn't hack from Burisma, but they want you to believe they did. Let's say they start blatantly interfering in our election again to help Donald Trump. Can you have the least bit of confidence that Donald Trump will stand up to them and protect our national interest over his own personal interest. You know you can't. Which makes him dangerous to this country. You know you can't. You know you can't count on him. None of us can. None of us can. What happens if China got the message? Now you can say, well, he's just joking, of course. He didn't really mean China should investigate the Bidens. You know that's no joke. Now, maybe you could have argued three years ago when he said, hey, Russia, if you're listening, hack Hillary's emails. Maybe you could give him a freebie and say he was joking. But now we know better. Hours after he did that, Russia did, in fact, try to hack Hillary's emails. There's no mulligan here when it comes to our national security. So what if China does overtly or covertly start to help the Trump campaign? You think he's going to call him out on it? Or you think he's going to give him a better trade deal on it? Can any of us really have the confidence that Donald Trump will put his personal interests ahead of the national interest? Is there really any evidence in this presidency that should give us the ironclad confidence that he would do so? You know you can't count on him to do that. That's the sad truth. You know you can't count on him to do that. The American people deserve a president they can count on to put their interest first to put their interest first. Colonel Vindman said, here right matters. Here right matters. Well, let me tell you something. If right doesn't matter, if right doesn't matter, It doesn't matter how good the Constitution is. It doesn't matter how brilliant the framers were. It doesn't matter how good or bad our advocacy in this trial is. It doesn't matter how well written the oath of impartiality is. If right doesn't matter, 
we're lost. If the truth doesn't matter, we're lost. Framers couldn't protect us from ourselves if right and truth don't matter. And you know that what he did was not right. You know, that's what they do in the old country that Colonel Vinman's father came from, or the old country that my great-grandfather came from, or the old countries that your ancestors came from, or maybe you came from. But here, right is supposed to matter. It's what's made us the greatest nation on earth. No constitution can protect us. Right doesn't matter anymore. And you know, you can't trust this president do what's right for this country. You can trust he will do what's right for Donald Trump. He'll do it now. He's done it before. He'll do it for the next several months. He'll do it in the election if he's allowed to. This is why if you find him guilty, you must find that he should be removed. Because right matters. Because right matters. And the truth matters. Otherwise, we are lost. Congressman Adam Schiff wrapping up Thursday's arguments in the U.S. Senate impeachment trial against Donald John Trump. Uh, it'll be a tough act to follow, but Heather Digby Parton joins us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yes, the impeachment polka continues <laughs> on the broadcast. Welcome back to it. I'm Brad Friedman. Uh, as we go to air, Democratic House managers in the U.S. Senate are now wrapping up their opening argument in the historic impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump with the president's defense team set to begin their own response tomorrow. I call it the opening argument. It still could be the closing argument if Republicans uh, stay together as a block and refuse to allow any witnesses, any new documents that have been withheld uh, from the uh, by the White House. Um, so we're all learning about this as we go. We don't know where this goes from here. It has been an exhausting week with a mountain of detailed, granular and, in my opinion, very well constructed argument and evidence in support of the case that Donald Trump abused his powers as president to unlawfully withhold nearly $400 million in military aid to war-torn Ukraine, as allocated by a bipartisan vote of Congress in hopes of pressuring Ukraine to announce an investigation of Joe Biden and into a Russian-generated claim that it was Ukraine, not Russia, which interfered in the 2016 election. 
not to carry out the investigation into those things, but to simply have Ukraine announce that it would do so in hopes of helping Donald Trump's 2020 re-election chances. The abuse of power scheme, Article 1 of the two articles of impeachment, uh, to try and cheat in the 2020 election, as the Democrats have characterized it, was compounded by Article 2, Donald Trump's successful attempt to obstruct Congress to prevent them from learning about the scheme at all by an unprecedented withholding of documents and firsthand eyewitnesses to what the Government Accountability Office has now characterized as an unlawful hold on that military aid to Ukraine. As we go to air, as I said, the House managers are wrapping up and the president's attorneys will uh, begin their defense of the president and their response to the Democratic argument. So we don't yet know what they will argue in his defense. But joining us now to discuss what we do know to date and hope to learn as all of this moves forward is our old friend who has been with us for much of the initial House impeachment inquiry, as well as many of the key points in both the Trump presidency and its fateful candidacy before that. The great, the wonderful, the awesome. Well, she's not a juror, so I don't have to kiss up to her. Heather Digby Parton <laughs> is back with us again today for her insight as a Sidney Hillman award-winning opinion and analysis journalist at both Salon and Digby's Hullabaloo. Oh, Heather, congrats. You made it through week one, almost, of this historic impeachment trial. <laughs> Uh, I, I think so. Uh, I, I couldn't. I, I don't know whether or not I'd uh, I'd place a bet on it. But so far, so good. I mean, it has been a bit of a slog. But uh, you know, for for me, um, unlike the Republican senators who apparently are so bored or offended mm -hmm. by the entire process that they're sitting there at their desks. You know, with fidget spinners in their mm -hmm. hands, uh, making paper airplanes, doing crossword puzzles, and basically pouting like a bunch of three-year-olds. Uh, <laughs> I found it quite interesting. Well, <laughs> yeah, and we will, we will get to them. Uh, but big picture first, what have you, someone who I know has followed all of this very closely, long before the case finally made its way to the U.S. Senate, what, what have you learned, uh, if anything, during the Democratic House manager's case over the past three or four days? Well, I mean, you know, on a sort of meta level, I learned that the uh, that the House managers really have their act together. Mm. Um, they they and it kind of surprised me to be honest, because mm. I have learned to not expect much from politicians uh, in their ability, especially to, Democrats, know, yeah, right, to do politics. You right. know, this seems like something beyond them. But they've been they've been putting on an excellent case. They're obviously very well prepared. They've been very professional. Uh, and they have made both, you know, sort of evidentiary findings and also made arguments as they go along. And I think they've been very adept, I, adept at doing that. I know that people are complaining that they are repeating themselves, but that's how cases go. I don't know if you've ever done jury duty or if people are lawyers who are listening to it. I but have, they know. but they kicked me off. But, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. But, you know, for those who are who have done that or are actual lawyers, or mm -hmm. even if you've just watched a lot of Law & Orders, <laughs> you know that this kind of repetitiveness is normal in a case when you're presenting a lot of evidence. What they have done is present this story in a way that I had not heard it before, and I don't think anybody had, which is that they took what we had seen in the earlier hearings. We saw testimony, we saw the emails, we saw the text messages, we saw various things in those hearings. 
they condensed that and put it together in a, in a timeline and a narrative. And what that did was, you know, for one minute, you know, you'll see something like, you know, Ambassador Taylor's testimony. Mm-hmm. Then you see the, the text messages, and then you see Ambassador Sondland's testimony. They did that in a way that I think kind of clarified the story for anybody who was, mm-hmm. who was listening and paying attention. You suddenly saw how this thing unfolded. Um, and then Adam Schiff, of course, as you just showed, um, just, just played, mm-hmm. his, his uh, arguments that have been sort of the, the bookends to, to each day and to each section of it, uh, in which he sort of you know, raises the stakes and says, this is what we're doing, this is why this is important, this is why it... And he's not mm-hmm. making a constitutional argument. He's making an actual legal and political argument for why it's important that that Donald Trump be held accountable, mm-hmm. and and he sort of ratcheted that those arguments up each day. He's done a masterful job. I mean, I yes. think everybody agrees that you know. Well, obviously, that you know, Fox News is calling him a monster and what have you. But you know, for for normal people, well, um, he's been very very good. I will tell you, as someone who uh, you know also has to sort of uh, stitch together elements and evidence and arguments and audio and video and so forth each day. Uh, they plowed through just a mountain of stuff, a mountain of evidence to put together something as coherent, frankly, as they have over the past week uh, is no easy feat. I'm incredibly impressed by it, to be honest. When the effect that has on the Republicans, well, we'll discuss in a minute. But, you know, Schiff uh, thanked the senators at the end of the House manager's presentation on Thursday night for, quote, keeping an open mind as he uh, led into that incredibly impassioned closing argument that night. Now, you know, he's a very good prosecutor, clearly, and he's he's working the jury by thanking them, telling them how wonderful they are and so forth. But are any of those Republican senators actually keeping an open mind as as Schiff suggested they were? Well, I'll tell you what they're keeping an open mind about, and there aren't very many of them. I, you know, the vast majority, 95 percent at mm-hmm. least are not keeping an open mind. They've made that clear. They're, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they're running around acting like a bunch of bored teenagers. But there are a few who may not be keeping an open mind about the evidence, Mm -hmm. but they're keeping an open mind about what their constituents are telling them. Mm -hmm. So what they are, I'm sure, checking every time they go to the cloakroom pretending that they have to, you know, use the the bathroom, is checking in with their offices to see what the calls are like. well, I, I well no, I was going to say I and and I hope you're right about that, and I hope there are a few. But then we see, you know, of course we've seen uh, a bunch of these senators now saying, "Oh, I'm learning nothing new. I'm getting nothing new from this," which is of course because they're blocking anything new from being introduced. <laughs> but you cited uh, in a piece that you wrote today, Heather, this rather amazing tweet with video from Senator Mike Braun, a freshman senator from Indiana. Let me just play this and then we'll talk about it. You're saying that it's okay for a president to ask a foreign leader to investigate a political rival and withhold foreign aid to coerce him into doing so? No, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm not saying it's appropriate. I'm saying that it didn't happen. Heather, he's saying it didn't happen. They've just spent three days showing every which way with evidence from everywhere and everybody saying it absolutely did happen. He's saying it didn't happen. What do you do with that? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you can't do anything with that, obviously. I mean, I, in fact, in that piece that you cite, I was talking about the fact that, you know, what they're really going for in this is jury nullification, mm-hmm. which would be that, you know, they know what he did. They're just going to say, you know, we don't care. I mean, they're calling it the so what defense. And they're not even going to try and make an argument for why it's okay or, or that he didn't mean to do it and he was, he was wrong, but it wasn't impeachable. They're just going to say, so what? This is, you know, we don't care. They have the brute power to, to save him and they're, and they're going to do it. Uh, Braun is an extreme example. I think there will be other examples among them of, of various sort of uh, aspects mm-hmm. of this jury nullification, but it's, you know, I, I think, you know, the writing is on the wall about where they stand today. Now, you know, if John Bolton, that there is a the mm-hmm. glimmer, teeny tiny, the infinitesimal little glimmer mm-hmm. of hope that if John Bolton testifies, that maybe a few Republicans will vote uh, to remove if it's really, you know, shocking and compelling. Mm-hmm. But there won't be 13 of them. I mean, that's just obviously off the table. And, and I, everybody knew that going in. So this, this process I don't know. Is Not me. Not me. I'm still keeping an open mind, Heather. If John Bolton comes in and testifies, frankly, all bets could be off. I know that's insane to even ponder. Uh, Pollyanna. Yeah, Pollyannish. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know what? I I think it's not over till it's over. There's been just surprise after surprise, you know, each and every hour of this presidency. Uh, and uh, yeah, I know that the conve- what the conventional wisdom is, but I think anything could happen if John Bolton actually is called in, which is why uh, he won't be called in. <laughs> he, he won't be called in. Is that what you said? Well, I'm just saying you, you're saying anything could happen if John Bolton comes in, and yeah. that's I'm saying that's probably why he won't be called well, in. Perhaps uh, you're right on that point. I, but you know, for those who have actually watched. This long and detailed presentation from Democrats this past week, as the senators were supposed to have done. I do exclude, by the way, Fox News viewers because they stopped showing the trial altogether to their viewers uh, pretty early over there, incredibly enough, even for Fox. But is there any uh, I know you watched what actually was presented. Is there any other defense at this point for what Trump you know, is accused of other than, well, even if these charges are true, it does not rise to impeachable high crimes and misdemeanors. Or even if it's true, it's just not worth removing a president for. I cannot think of any other legitimate-ish reason to vote to acquit, notwithstanding Mike Braun's, you know, denialism that none of this ever happened. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Is there any opening there for a, a, a legitimate response? I, I can't think of one, and that would be a legitimate response. You could have even, in a, in a normal world, seen a group of Republicans say, look, we need to censure him and move mm-hmm. on, the way that the Democrats did back, you know, with Clinton. With Clinton, yeah. But that would have required that, that somehow or another it be admitted that he did something wrong. And that is just not, it, he will not stand for it. The call was perfect. He's perfect. Everything, this is all a hoax. It's a witch hunt, et cetera, et cetera. So they are really stuck. They can, they are not, and you know, I don't know if you saw the other thing that I put up on my my um, post on Salon, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, the Trump apparently the White House is literally telling Republicans that if they vote against him, their heads will be on pikes. That is the that is the phrase that they're using. Really? 
Yes. So, I mean, these threats are being, you know, they are not, not, you know, in any way kind of, you know, under, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not, you know, being less than uh, overt. I mean, they are coming out and just saying it right out. Yeah. And by the way, just to make one small point, you know, Matt Gates, one of Trump's most notorious henchmen, very mm-hmm. close to the White House, spends time at Mar-a-Lago. He recently voted against Trump on the Iran war resolution. Yes, he did. And he is being iced out. They are yeah. absolutely saying so. He's an example, I think. I, my personal feeling is that this is—that's the reason they're going after Matt Gates so hard. It's just they're yeah. showing what will happen to even the most loyal, bootlicking sycophants if they don't do, if they don't vote, uh, you know, against this. Which you know, yeah, vote. For yeah, vote against impeachment. Which means that uh, even that idea that you 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 float there of a, of a censure and move on. And by the way, a lot of people may not remember they moveon.org, If you've heard of them, they were actually formed okay. out of the Clinton impeachment when there was a movement to say, yeah, what Bill Clinton did was bad, but not worth removing him from office. Let's just censure him and move on. And that's how moveon.org right. came about. You're suggesting that. A solution like that cannot work here because of this White House, because of this this thin-skinned president who would not even allow a censure because that suggests he did anything wrong, putting him more like in the Mike Braun camp that uh, it didn't happen. None of this is actually reality. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I really think that's true. And, And that, you know, that goes to whatever. I mean, you know, we're we're the, the Republican, the Trump team mm-hmm. is really in a tough position. I mean, they are basically not going to be able to make a logical argument. So, you know, the the arguments that they're forced to make are basically just Fox News talking points that you know Hunter Biden mm-hmm. uh, talking about the perfect phone call, et cetera, et cetera, because he will not allow them to do what would be logical, and it w- could be even compelling. I mean, you could admit that's a logical argument. You could say, hey, yeah, he did it. It was wrong. It was bad. We're he's you know if he were like Clinton, he would have been apologizing all over the place for it and say he'd never do it again, et cetera, et cetera. But they can't say that. They can't say that and say, look, he did what he did was wrong, but it doesn't rise to the level of impeachment. We have an election coming up in November. Let the voters decide. All of that would make some sense. I mean, I wouldn't buy it. I'm sure you wouldn't either. But nonetheless, that, that is a, that's an argument based in reality. But he, they can't do it. So they are stuck. And it's, you know, it's, it, and of course, all these Republicans, because their heads will be on pikes if they don't do it, they're all going to have to nod along like a bunch of trained seals and agree. Well, I, you know, I, I thought one of the things the Democrats have done is a very good job of sort of pre-bunking the likely White House arguments on pretty much everything that they are, you know, guessing that the the uh, White House will present, and Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri, uh, he told reporters on Thursday, if we're going to call witnesses, I think it's now clear we absolutely must call Hunter Biden and we probably need to call Joe Biden. Now, the Democrats sort of pre-bunked, as I say, that that whole theory about uh, wrongdoing by, I guess, either Hunter Biden or Joe Biden. And yet they still seem to be focusing on this idea of we need to call in Hunter or Joe Biden. Uh, Other than the circus that we would see in such a case, uh, what, if any, would be your concerns about calling in one or more of the Bidens into this thing? Because if they're called in, then presumably so is 
uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton, former National Security Advisor Bolton, uh, who called this scheme a drug deal. He'd be called in, presumably Trump's chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, who said, you know, get over it. This sort of quid pro quo happens all the time in foreign policy. So would it really be a would you have any problem if they called in Hunter Biden or Joe Biden into this thing? Well, the lawyers that, uh, you know, I see on my TV, mm-hmm. I'll say that it's a bad idea to muddy the waters. But for me, as, a, as just a political person, mm-hmm. uh, I don't see a problem with it. Uh, I wouldn't, to me, and if I were Joe Biden, I'd want to do it. Because, you know, look, he's running for president. This would be the most, you know, watched, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, testimony yeah. in history. And right. he would be up there, you know, potentially, I mean, I would hope, you know, being able to defend himself and be the guy. And by the way, you know, he's an ex-senator. He knows all these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's all tight with all of them. I mean, presumably he should be able to do well. But it doesn't appear that people are are up for that. Now, personally, I think that the, the Democrats should up the ante. Yeah, okay, let's have Lev Parnas and Rudy Giuliani. Yes, please. Whatever you want to do that. You yeah. know, let's, let's really get into it. Let's mm-hmm. talk about that whole Ukraine scheme. Uh, about, you know, what Hunter Biden allegedly did. Yeah, let's get Rudy in here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, it, it would be a circus, and it appears that, that you know, Pete, nobody really wants that, and you have the presidential race going on, et cetera, et cetera. So who knows? But from my perspective, not a big deal. I, I wouldn't care if, if, if Hunter, and, and if Hunter Biden made a fool of himself, yeah, so what? I, I don't know where you get the idea that nobody wants a circus at this point. <laughs> I think there's quite a few uh, people who do. I, I'm I'm short on time, Heather, so let me uh, sort of wrap up with, with this thought. I was actually struck by someone a few weeks ago, and and my apologies, I can't, I'm not sure who this was, but uh, who explained that the GOP's sort of uh, undying forgiveness of, of Trump and whatever he might do, whether it's in this case or anything else, uh, this person uh, said it's because he is our O.J. Mm-hmm. That we think the system is, you know, so corrupt and so awful for so long, talking about Trump supporters here, that we don't mind someone coming in and basically giving the finger to everything and everybody. We don't care what he did. He may be corrupt, but he's our chance to get back at the system. Uh, You know, that thinking actually made some sort of bizarre sense to me as I was, you know, thinking of how can these Republicans, whether elected officials or, you know, just supporters of Trump, how can they continue to not see what is so clear to the rest of us? And, you know, seeing him as, well, he's our OJ, that kind of makes sense. Your thoughts on that? Well, it's funny, because I, I actually wrote about that in my in my piece for Salon today. Um, it was from a Politico article that it t- took a lot of comments from various Trump supporters mm-hmm. about why they support him. And one of the people said, he's like, you know, he's like our OJ. And my feeling, I sort of turned that around to the idea that this was jury nullification, which was kind of what happened with the OJ trial. Mm-hmm. And Trump, of course, should have taken the position you know, should be in a position of jury nullification based on the long history of racist jury nullification in the Jim Crow South, because he is one of them. But instead, he's kind of turned it on itself, even hiring one of O.J.'s attorneys, Alan Dershowitz, to represent him. So the idea being that he represents them, this, you know, this put-upon minority of good Americans, real Americans, that, you know, ha- can't catch a break, and mm-hmm. so the jury's going to nullify the law there and nullify the Constitution in his favor just mm-hmm. as a way to sort of make that statement, and regardless of what he did. And, and I think there's, there's some, mm-hmm. 
some truth in that. Um, and and if that happens, uh, of course, you know, one thing Democrats will say is, well, if you do this, that opens the door down the line for uh, Democrats to do the same down the line. But no problem. Republicans will just say, well, we didn't mean it back then. We were wrong right. back then. Right. Two wrongs don't make a right. So we are going to impeach President Warren. Or of course, is. shamelessness is their superpower. I mean, this, <laughs> this is an, they have an amazing... I mean, seriously, I don't think people, people really understand how, how powerful that is. If you mm-hmm. don't have any shame and you'll say anything, which they will. I mm-hmm. mean, look at Lindsey Graham. I mean, he, there's a walking example of shamelessness. Yep. Um, so, you know, they, of course, they don't care. They, they're going to live from minute to minute and say mm-hmm. whatever they need to do in the moment to, you know, advance whatever their own personal and party interests Incredible. are. And that goes without saying. And by the way, just, uh, just to, to close out very, very quickly... On Friday, there was a release of a tape, ABC, well, they haven't had the tape, but they heard mm-hmm. the tape of Les Parnas hearing Donald Trump say at a, at a small meeting mm-hmm. that, they, that they had, say, you know, take her out about Marie Ivanovich, the, uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, ambassador, ambassador to Ukraine. Um, yeah. And apparently he's on tape saying that. Now yep. you have to wonder whether Trump, you know, is this stewing. I wonder how many other tapes. Certainly Rudy must be worried if there are other tapes out there. Yeah. And uh, I suspect that we're going to hear House managers use that tape in the 16-hour question and answer period. I would not be surprised if it comes out before then. I think we're going to see it in the trial. They damn well should. And that tape uh, came from, it was a meeting with Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. And I think it was uh, evidence that they got off of Igor Fruman. Yeah, those mm-hmm. ta- it was a meeting with, with them, who, uh, even though the president says, oh, I don't know these people. Yeah, never, don't even know yeah. them at all. Right. Uh, if that was the kind of evidence they got, uh, I suspect there is a lot more out there, which is one of the reasons why these Republicans want to shut this thing down yeah. as quickly as possible. Don't let them. Uh, Chuck Schumer said on Friday that uh, the constituent phone calls are not nearly as high as they were during the uh, Obamacare fight, the Affordable Care Act fight. So if public pressure increases, that could change the way things go. I'll just remind folks that the uh, number to reach your senator is 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. If you would like to share your thoughts with them, you can do so. And it, it uh, as Heather said, it does mean a lot as far as how these uh, senators decide to act in the days ahead. Heather Digby-Parton, you can and should find her work every day at Salon.com and Digby'sBlog.net. You can also find her on the Twitters at Digby56. Heather, I think we're going to be talking to you quite a bit in the days ahead. (laughs) I always look forward to it, and I am always mighty grateful. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for having me, Brad. You bet. Okay, as we are uh, wrapping up here today, while, I, while I've been talking to Heather there, Zoe Lofgren of California, one of the House impeachment managers, who was actually an... Uh, she actually worked on the Nixon impeachment. Yes. I think she was an, uh, was an aide or something on the House Judiciary Committee during Something that. like that, yes. Yeah. So she was there. She was there. She was then there for the Bill Clinton impeachment. Yep. She is now a House manager on Donald J. Trump's impeachment. As I've been talking to Heather, she has, uh, uh, Congresswoman uh, Lofgren has been making the case that Donald Trump's obstruction of Congress in this matter is simply unprecedented and that those Republicans who have been out there arguing 
that Democrats should have gone to the courts and waited to get the subpoenas to all of these people who they want to talk to, John Bolton, Mick Mulvaney, Mike Pompeo, all of that, that they didn't let the court process play out. Well, the fact is, the court process takes years. And she was pointing, there were some charts about how long it took uh, in you know various cases to get the courts to rule on uh, whether administration officials had to answer subpoenas, and that that would have put it beyond this year's election. And the whole point is they are trying to safeguard this election. Adam Schiff has been talking about this is a matter of election integrity, which, Stopping by the way, yeah. is, is something that's somewhat close to my heart. <laughs> so they had no choice but to do this, they say. They also have been noting that the DOJ, Bill Barr, has been saying, hey, we can't indict a sitting president. The only option is impeachment. At the same time, Republicans in Congress and, in fact, Donald Trump's own attorneys are saying, well, you can't impeach him because you didn't go to the courts to finish this process. In the end, that left uh, Jerry Nadler saying, you know what, if we can't indict him, if we can't impeach him, if there's nothing we can do, the president becomes a dictator. And he's kind of right. That's sort of where we are as we leave air here today, as they're finishing up their arguments on uh, the article, the second article of impeachment on obstruction of Congress. And if folks want to speak out, as I say, and let their senators know what they feel, where they believe they should be sitting at this point, the phone number to Congress is 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121. The Senate will be in session all weekend long and for the next several days. Operators so, are standing by. There you go. Hey, uh, thank you, Desi Doyen, yep. our operator here, our producer. <laughs> uh, of course, to my guest, Heather Digby-Parton, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated more than you can possibly know. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime from bradblog.com for free. That is made possible by those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. As I say, today is bradblog.com's 16th anniversary. I haven't even had time to make a fuss about it because, you know, kind of busy. <laughs> bradblog.com slash donate if you want to leave us an anniversary gift. All right, uh, that's it. You can drop me email if you want. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the bradblog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.